The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Five weeks after being named CEO of United Airlines, Oscar Munoz had a heart attack. Two months later, with a new heart, he was back at work, where he was faced with a company in disarray. His predecessor, Jeff Smissick, had been caught in a federal corruption probe, and the airline was still not fully integrated with Continental Airlines after the 2010 merger of the two companies. Over the course of the following year, Munoz largely succeeded in turning around the airline, boosting on-time performance and renegotiating worker contracts. Munoz was so successful in his role that PR Week named him the Communicator of the Year in March of 2017. However, one month later, Munoz faced another test after a ticketed United passenger was forcefully removed from a flight, becoming a national news story and a major headache for the company. In the wake of the controversy, the United Board decided that Munoz would not take over as chairman of the company, as had been originally planned. But he was able to keep his job, although his salary for 2017 was just half of what it was in 2016. He recently sat down with Carlyle Group co-founder David Rubenstein. They spoke on David Rubenstein's Bloomberg television program, Peer-to-Peer Conversations. First, I want to talk about uh, an incredible story that many here may not be familiar with. So let's talk about your background initially to get to this story. You grew up in California, mm-hmm. and you had eight siblings? I do. And what was that like? I'm an only child. What was it like when you have eight siblings. Is that easy to do? Or? <laughs> if you're an only child, it's probably hard to reference a good point of view, but uh, no, it was hectic. It was crazy. Um, we shared everything. Uh, we had first and second lunch because we couldn't fit everybody at the first table. Um, when I first brought my wife home for Thanksgiving, um, I said, okay, honey, let's just get ready, okay, because <laughs> this will be not normal, so but it's when, great. When you're growing up, you were, I must have been a good student. You got into Harvard, and you chose not to go. Why was that? Uh, it was an awkward moment. Um, I'm the first to go to uh, college. Uh, came blue-collar family, uh, and we were invited to an event that was a black tie optional event. I don't know what that means at that time, and my dad certainly didn't. And we had to walk across. First of all, we got stopped at the door because they said you must be lost because of the way we were dressed. Now you have to remember, I was in high school. My hair was down to here. Uh, I grew up in Huntington Beach, so I was a surfer kid, and my hair was red and long and ratty, and I thought I looked good. Um, <laughs> so walking across a room of this size with all eyes upon you, and then sitting at a, a table with everybody asking you questions like, who are you, what's your major, and none of them things that I knew. So I knew that wasn't quite the right fit, and right. Southern Cal was just closer to home. Have you ever thought, and a great university. Have you ever thought what you could have accomplished with your life had you gone to Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> God knows I could be in that seat. (laughs) So um, you went to USC, (laughs) University of Southern California, and obviously did well. You worked your way up, and ultimately you find yourself at CSX, a railroad company, and you were working your way up, and you were president 
and a COO. Is that correct? It was. You're probably about ready to be made CEO, and at the same time, you're on the board of a company called United Airlines. So one day, um, there's a need to have a new CEO, and they ask you to be the CEO. Why did you want to leave Florida for Chicago, and why did you want to give up running a railroad, which is maybe not as complicated as running an airline? Why did you do want to do that? One of the more complicated questions in my life, right? Uh, and to add to that, by the way, my first daughter was getting married um, right around that time frame, and we had the wedding planned. My wife's entire sole interest over the course of that momentous decision was, you better get your father of the bride speech done. <laughs> but no, it was a difficult, it's, listen, I, and there's some friends from CSX that are here today, and it was a wonderful place. Frankly, I just thought I had another turnaround in me, A and B. Um, when you meet the people of United and what we needed at United was someone that could relate to the everyday folks that we work with, and I thought I could do that better than most. Right. So one month after you take this job, you get a heart attack. Now, I can never go to any conversation without this one, but yes. So, now, 38 days to be exact. All right, so did you think maybe you had taken the wrong job? It was too much pressure, and you know, you were a vegan, and you were an exerciser, and Marathon, how did that, you run marathons, or, so what went wrong? Um, so as a quick public service announcement to all of us in the room, uh, heart disease is the biggest killer in America, to be serious. Um, most the reason why is most of us don't know we have it. Uh, my family background didn't allow me to understand a lot of my history. And so, again, being relatively fit and eating crazy like a vegan, uh, you think that nothing would happen and something did. And I think when you talk to cardiologists, when you talk to heart specialists, unfortunately, you know, some of the things internal, your plumbing is what affects you. So, so you have your heart attack, and then they come in and say, guess what, you need a heart transplant. Yeah. So were you a little surprised about that? Uh, I was a little surprised and a little hesitant. Um, you know, they, they talk about the fact that heart transplant surgeries are 93% uh, uh, successful, uh, the actual surgery. And of course, us being who we are, it's like, so what happens to the 7%? <laughs> uh, so when they not came, a good answer on that one, by the way. So when they came in and told you you needed a heart transplant, did you ask for a second opinion or anything like that? No, we did travel around, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to know people all over the country, and I uh, was trying to figure out if there was something else, because most of us, guys in particular, think we can fix things, right? It's like, I'll just you know, run it off or something. Um, that is not true, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot fix these things. And what the doctors around the world that I trust and know told me, they said, sit your butt down and get the surgery because that's the only way you're going to live. Okay, it's one thing to say you need a heart transplant, but you've got to get a heart. So don't you have to wait online for a long time? How did you, how did you get a heart? So it is the most, one of the most Byzantine processes of how you apply and what levels you're in and how all this gets worked. It's very well regulated and, and modulated so that people don't take advantage in any way, shape, or form. Um, but uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, I was on a list, and uh, on my birthday, ladies and gentlemen, on my birthday, on the morning of, uh, my doctor, uh, Anderson, called and said, quote, have we got a kick-ass heart for you? Um, and uh, we happened to be at a meeting in, in, uh, at United, uh, kind of a strategy vision going forward, that I, we were, I was in the middle of it. I had come back from my heart attack, and I had this device, and uh, I stood up after lunch. We were determining, actually, the strategic future of the of the company, where all the things that we've been able to do over the last couple of years and all the things that we're doing. But uh, as we broke, I knew that morning I, I was, had to go into the hospital that afternoon. And uh, so I went to the meetings, just because what else am I going to do for the morning? Uh, and we were excited. And then I didn't say anything other than my general counsel and a couple of folks to make sure they knew. But I did stand up at lunch and said, 
I'm not going to be back after lunch. I got to go to the hospital. I got this thing I got to do. But there's a classic line that I didn't mean to say the way I said it, but I said, I'll see you on the other side. And again, as you know, that could have a lot of meanings. Uh, I meant the most positive meaning, meaning, hey, I'll be back. And so the surgery was, went great. I was in and out. I, I was out of the, gosh, um, a 21-year-old beat me as far as the history of Northwestern Hospital, but I was out in about seven days. Seven days. So I don't know, Thursday, I was back in the office on Monday in, in smaller levels. Now, we didn't tell the world and analysts and investors that because they'd freak out, but I was, I was spending a lot of time back in the office. All right, so today you're in pretty good shape. You have a heart transplant, but other than immune issues from time to time, you're feeling as good as you could possibly feel? I think most people wouldn't. I asked the table, do, 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 yes, he's, I mean, we're always, I'm always running around. I just came back from Australia, and, and uh, no, it, there's no restrictions. And you still exercise a lot? Uh, not a lot, because the job, unfortunately, takes you, uh, I'm, I'm not Dennis Mullenberg from Boeing. I, I, I ride bikes with him, but. So have you thought that maybe <laughs> exercising and being, being a vegan isn't such a good thing, and maybe don't exercise and eat all the meat would be better? Have you ever thought of that? Uh, my doctor, who is, um, a larger gentleman, uh, I think, would advise me. He advised me to go from vegan to what he calls flexitarian, meaning eat what the hell you want. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. But eat lots of it because you need to gain weight. All right. So let's talk about the airline industry that you're now Thank uh, you. <laughs> part of. <laughs> People love to fly around the world at relatively low prices, but why is it that generally the public doesn't seem to like airlines? Well, a couple things. Uh, you're right. Prices, since uh, so next year will be the 40th anniversary of deregulation, and so many new things have been offered, so many products. And to your point on pricing, I think the number is 40, 45 percent on an inflation-adjusted basis. Prices are actually lower. Schedules are increased. We have much farther reach. Um, but the customer has evolved as well. And uh, again, as I said, we have 150 million of you wonderful people every year, and you all have opinions on various aspects. And, um, you know, not everyone dislikes things, but people that fly very infrequently. So, for instance, uh, uh, luggage and a fee around luggage. If you haven't flown in a few years and now you have to pay it, you get angry. Uh, and so things have evolved. The uh, good thing is the airline industry is generally profitable, where you used to hear about us in bankruptcy every other day. Right. Uh, and so we have to balance that history of providing everything you want all the time at a low price to still having a relatively low economic price, but also adding all the product and value and schedule and efficiency that we've been able to do. Now, in the old days, as you pointed out, the old days 30 years ago or so, a lot of airlines were going out of business. I've read so. about the old days. Brand F, TWA... Trump shuttle, they're not around anymore. Um, I don't know what happened. Not going there. Okay. So, um, I don't know. Did, did you ever fly on the Trump shuttle? I don't know. But uh, So, why are there so many airlines that went out of business, but today the airlines seem to be profitable? Is that because you, the algorithms have worked so you know how to actually have not too many empty seats? Well, um, consolidation has helped. Um, I mentioned my railroad experience, and I think if you look at their history, uh, I think the airline has closely followed the same evolution of less folks vying for the same amount of customers. Uh, certainly as part of it, I think some discipline around how we invest, how much product we offer, how we price, and how, more importantly, how we are efficient. But underlying it all, I can never forget the fact that all this product is supported by the human beings that run the airline every single day. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, 
and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. What's the best way to get the lowest price? Do people go online and book it themselves or to go through a travel agent? Uh, probably in broad aspects, the further out you book, the better options that you have. Uh, but people use an interesting array of folks. Uh, so travel agents are still big customers of ours, and they're still part of it. Our direct channels for us, United.com, is a growing channel. So is it possible that somebody could be sitting next to somebody else on an airline, he or she paid a lower price than the person sitting right next to him or her? Nobody talks about that. But, yeah, that's been an issue forever. I mean, you've got a corporate customer on a corporate discount. You're someone that booked far ahead. Um, so usually, I mean, I don't know about you in the room. I don't usually ask who's sitting next to me. Hey, by the way, how much did you pay for that ticket? Well, um, but it is an issue, uh, uh, but it's not a significant one. Well, let's talk about your flying. Um, I assume you're not flying on uh, private planes anymore. Uh, no, uh, you've got to eat what you cook. So okay. I'm, I'm very comfortable with our wonderful right. So when product. you want to need a reservation, do you have any problem getting a... Uh, you know, getting a seat or anything? No. We book through the normal channels, and what we call it, it's, it's positive space, or space available, meaning uh, I'll look a flight, and if it's booked, I'll find another flight like everyone else. Can you be on your airline and not have people come up and tell you what you should do better or bother you, or is that, how does that work? Yeah, it's uh, not, not an easy task anymore. Uh, you're fairly recognized. So the further back you go, the less you're recognized. Uh, in the front of the cabin, it's almost impossible, and people do want to chat and provide input and feedback on many things. Obtrusive, yes. Uh, I've had people, you know, re- like I'll put my, my headphones on and pretend to do something so I can try to sleep. They'll reach over and take it out. Uh, <laughs> it gets worse. Um, so I'll be in the smart person that I am. I went to the earbuds, figuring they can't reach and get those. Oh, a contraire. <laughs> He, this guy reached in and grabbed this thing, which is a little obtrusive. Uh, but no, listen, it's um, all of us that are in this business uh, do this a lot. And uh, it's important to hear from your customers. And increasingly in our business, it's more positive. But you have a lot of people in first class who, when they don't like something, they say, do you know who I am? Do you get a lot of that? <laughs> we have wonderful customers who have a very high degree of <laughs> self-import. Okay. Yes. Okay. What percentage of luggage is lost? By the industry generally, I'm sure yours is better, but... Uh. By, by complaints uh, per, I think, 1,000 employments, it's like three per 1,000 over the course of time. And the best way to avoid having your luggage lost is do what? Just carry it on or... Uh, I, your predicate, I'm not in agreement with. We don't, we don't lose that much luggage. Okay. Um, and if we do, we get it right to you. In fact, we instituted a policy last year. It used to be kind of onerous, where if indeed something got lost and we couldn't find it, we made you put, you know, we needed receipts for everything that was in your bag, including things, you know, I mean, who keeps receipts for your underwear and your toothbrush? So we instituted a thing. It's like, listen, you trusted me with your bag. We lost it. Here's $1,500 as soon as you ask. $1,200, I guess, is the number. Um, Because it's important for us to build the trust. We don't lose them that often. We need you to trust us. And when we do, we have to act on it very quickly. And now, in the old days, the old, old days, people were worried about the safety of flying. Uh, today, do people care about the safety very much, and you don't have a lot of accidents in the industry now? Um, no. I just, I, that's a, one of the – safety is by far a high priority. Interesting, safety and security has been an increasing focus. So there will be things that you as customers don't enjoy, you don't like, 
for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it's just unfortunately at this time, this day and age, safety and security have to be our topmost concerns. Sometimes that gets in the way of a customer service you'd like or wish, but I think we'll all agree that safety and security are paramount. So let's talk about some of your specific issues that have arisen recently. You're probably familiar with them. So, um, no, but I'm sure you're going to remind me. Okay. <laughs> there was a flight where um, I think there were some United employees that needed to go somewhere, and you were trying to get people to get off the airline. You offer them money, which is a fairly standard thing to do. And one person said, I can't get off. I'm a doctor. I have to operate in the morning. And not United, but the local police dragged him off. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the dark moments in, in, our, in our time. And usually the question is, are you glad that's getting behind you or something? And I always say, uh, no, I'm happy to be reminded of it every day. Right, right. And so is our, is our company because it's important to know how quickly things can go uh, sideways on us. And so the circumstances that led up to that, all the different policies and procedures, in a nutshell, again, because safety and security and operational efficiency becomes, we become so focused, and it's important that we do that, the rigor and discipline around safety, security, and operations doesn't necessarily apply to the comfort and the, and the, the quality and the emotional connection as a human on customer service. And so our rules and procedures, you can't put always rules and procedures on how you treat another human being, which is why we started uh, um, over the last year something we call Core 4. And it's, and it's four principles that are in order. And if you, if you as an employee have any concern or any question about how to act, you deal with safety first, the number two, and this is the big uh, change for us, it's caring. Just the simple word caring. What does that mean? It can mean a lot to a lot of people, but it doesn't mean shutting the door. It doesn't mean yanking someone off the plane. It doesn't mean any of those things. And then you get to dependable and efficient, which are important. But they're four, they're simple, but caring is number two. So let's talk about another problem you had, which was dogs. You're not the only one to have dogs die in overhead compartments. Yeah. Uh, let me just a little bit of defensiveness on my part. Uh, we, we as a as a as a company, because we understand how important pets are to folks, which you may not agree with given the circumstances. But we flew three times as many animals for people all over the world because no other airline really was doing that. Uh, so we were doing it as a customer aspect. When you open up the arm to that many animals all across uh, a lot of things, you introduce risk into it. And so um, what we've done is we de-risk the situation. We just brought that things back down as to what kind of dogs we, we carry animals uh, that's very aligned with the rest of the airline world. I've noticed a lot of people have things called emotional support animals or something like that, where they get a certificate from a doctor saying, I can't travel without this animal, whatever the animal might be. Are people abusing that, and you're getting a lot of big animals on your planes as a result? Yeah, y'all, everyone's heard about the peacock story, so I, think I won't go into that one. Uh, we just had a recent experience where one of the emotional support animals, wait for it, required another emotional support animal. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a dog and a monkey, and somebody asked me earlier today which one was supporting her, so I, I don't know that answer, but I said, no, listen, uh, on a serious note, uh, people that need things, uh, you know, it, the problem is it's abused because it's not regulated in any way, shape, or form, and anybody can get in. So we don't know. So if, if you have a need, I mean, so service animals for disabled veterans, for people that are blind, we bend over 
twice over backwards to ensure we take care of the people that truly need aspect. But when you get into the ridiculous stage where a peacock or two different animals, and right. most of the consumers, I mean, if you have allergies, so all of that has to be modulated and worked, and there's no real rules around it. And so we've taken, along with the other airlines, a pretty harder stance. It's like we need to have some proof. You need to register the animal. It has to be of a general size. We have small ponies, snakes. I mean, it, there's a... And again, I, it sounds funny, but our flight attendants and our organization have to deal with this. And so, you know, back to where we're putting humans and we're getting them comfortable, getting them on their seats, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with that and, and th that and many other issues that we... So how do you deal with sexual harassment yeah, on planes? Yeah, I, I just fundamentally as an individual and human don't understand how people can um, do things that we hear people doing. So that's just a personal opinion. Um, in addition, people don't want to sit next to someone because of their race or their sex or their color. And frankly, I don't have a lot of time for that. This is where customer service for me personally kind of goes out the window and says, you know, you want to fly elsewhere because we don't want to deal with that. But the issues, uh, the real issues of sexual harassment, safety in general is a very important one for us. We partner with the people. Sarah Nelson's here from the American Flight Attendant Organization. We listen to them because they're the ones that generally have to take some of the brunt of this. Right. And it's, it's, it can be awful. And, and it's been quiet for a long time. It's been going on for a long period of time. And we just had a deaf ear to it. And now the issue is that you have to, human trafficking, by the way, is another angle that we have to ask our flight attendants to do. How do you recognize it? How do you resolve it? And then inevitably you have false positives where you see something going on and then we pull someone off the aircraft or you have a, you know, law enforcement meet them and it turns out to be something different. Right. And then, of course, we get sued. And that's always an, has been an argument for why we shouldn't do some of these things. I say nay. I say, listen, we'll take the heat for the things, the, the minority of things, in order to fix the broader issue, because it's a real issue. Right. Do you hold the airlines for anybody? Like, there's a rumor in Washington that members of Congress can get airlines held for them. Is, that, is there any truth to that? Um, <laughs> we generally, as an operation, don't want to hold anything, because we have a schedule to keep. But if one of my gate agents sees a, a, you know, a young woman with three kids you know, running down the... You know, and, and our, but our schedule says we close it in 30 seconds and she's a minute away or 10 minutes away, whatever. Uh, we have historically tended to shut the door to get it out on time. Again, we say, nay, we are going to allow our gate agents to make that call and hold that aircraft for the right amount of time for the right person. Okay. You know, the morning flight, you can let it go because you have other options. If it's the last flight of the day, you can, you can hold it for someone. So uh, we don't hold aircraft for anyone. Not members of Congress, nobody. We don't hold aircraft for okay. anyone. Okay. Now, on your planes, do you have Wi-Fi on most of your planes, or a lot of them? Boy, that's another loaded question. <laughs> um, again, um, what, yes, we do. Have. We have Wi-Fi, and it's a huge focus okay. for us. Uh, some of the technology is evolving. Some of it's better than others. And so we have a mishmash. But again, remember, you're not in your living room uh, streaming Netflix. You're 35, 40,000 feet in the air flying at 600 miles an hour. We forget that sometimes. And it does. It, it's, it, is, uh, it is inconsistent, which is the worst thing that we can do to you as a customer. Here, so we're working on that. But it'll take some time. Let's suppose I have three airlines to pick from, American, Delta, United, to fly across the country. Why should I pick United over your peers? Um, this is a great company with, importantly, probably of our greatest and most valuable asset is our humans and our people that work with us. And the, the level of, 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 of spirit and service and caring that they're going to be increasingly given to you, I think it's going to make the difference. Okay. That plus digital is always be. But I think the human aspect, we forget we are a person-to-person, human-to-human -person, human business. 
and all the other things don't matter as much. All right. So no regrets about taking the job. You don't think if you'd stayed at CSX, you wouldn't have had your heart transplant, right? It would have happened anyway. Is that right? Yeah, regrets is a wonderful academic and theoretical term, but the, I don't, it's not practical. I love what I do. I love my company before, and I really love my United family today. So no regrets at all. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.